Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. It is Monday, best day of the week. Not because we all have to start work again, but because Ari Wasserman is here. We have delving into Ari's beautiful mind about many different topics. We got some realignment topics. We got some recruiting stuff. We got some NIL stuff because this is going to be a Dear Andy and Ari episode. We're going to answer your questions to us, but also there will be a random ranking at the end. We've left those out lately because there's been so much news to digest, but Now we're going to talk about something we can digest. The random ranking will be best chain restaurant appetizers. And Ari, I know you're excited about that one. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you something, Andy, because I don't think I ever said this back to you, but Monday's the best day of the week. You're cutting promo now. You're like, let me tell you something, Mean Gene. (laughs) It is the best day of the week for me, too. I truly enjoy being on this podcast, and I am thankful that you continue to let me be on it. Uh, And I think part of the reason why is because we're going to rank – what is it? Appetizers at chain, chain restaurants? restaurant and I don't know if anybody and the, more qualified than me. Let me tell you. Well, and, and here's the best part, because I think this is only the two of us can make this rule for this, this ranking. We can't rank the bread. Like, Cheddar Bay Biscuits are out because we've already ranked free restaurant bread. Like We've already <laughs> done that. Uh, I've had a lot of uh, road trips in uh, Big Ten cities to know my fair share of, you know, I've been to Chili's in Altoona, Pennsylvania, so I've eaten my way through this country, and, you know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff there. Who among us hasn't been to the Chili's that Mike Ditka built in Altoona, <laughs> Pennsylvania? Come on. Uh, there's been a lot of road trips that have allowed the experience and some pounds that came with it, but, you know, this is the fun of it. It's all about the experience. Well, let's start out with some reader questions, because everybody's still trying to process all this realignment stuff and really so far we only know two sure things Oklahoma and Texas are moving to the SEC the latest they can move is July 1st 2025 we all suspect they're going to try to work a deal to work to to move sooner but we don't know much else Uh, you know if you're reading my story on Monday in the athletic then you know that the SEC is considering moving to a nine-game conference schedule to accommodate Texas and Oklahoma moving in and kind of changing things up so that there's more rotation through the league because you're not going to believe this, Ari, but a lot of those ADs would like Texas and Oklahoma to come to their stadium sooner than, than, you know, once every 10 years. Yeah. I think that (laughs) there's a point to this madness, right? And you got to do something to make it work. Uh, But man, I'm still kind of wrapping my mind around how this is real. Uh, I think everybody else is too. Uh, but it'll certainly be a, a fascinating thing to watch. So I, I can't wait to see how it all, all pans out here. But I, I would bet a lot of money that's not going to be at, uh, after 2025 or 2025. I think it's going to be sooner than that. Yeah, I think so, too, because I think once you at, at, at the very latest that last year, you can just say, here's a here's a dollar figure. Just pay this and and be done with it. We we the, the 
eight that are left in the Big 12 aren't going to want to deal with Texas and Oklahoma. Texas and Oklahoma aren't going to want to deal with them. It's just be, let's write a check and, and be free of one another. I think that's what happens. I'm just not exactly sure when that happens. But with, there's another piece of this, and I, I took this question. The first question I'm going to ask is from Michael. Michael is not the only person who has asked it. It's been asked in several different ways. But I, w- I will tell you, I think it's the most common question I've gotten from readers since all this started. This you know, some version of this question. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it to you now. The conference realignment musical chairs have begun, and it's gotten me thinking. Previously and currently, realignment has been entirely focused on expansion, whether for cable footprint or brand value. But since it's become obvious that it really is about the money, who's the first to realize that they can make more money per school by contracting rather than expanding? I would imagine that there are several schools currently in autonomy conferences, that would be Power 5 right now, that add negligible value to the conference TV deal. The same total money split fewer ways means more money per school. When the musical chairs start up again in five to 10 years, who is on the chopping block? And I've gotten this. So Michael is asking this in a very clinical way. I've also gotten this from like, say a South Carolina fan saying, what's in this for us? You know, what, how do we, how do we do this? Because we already couldn't win and now we really can't win. And then you, you have the people saying, well, how long till the SEC drops Vandy or how long till the big 10 drops Purdue or whatever it is. And I don't really know how to answer that question because I think if things continue the way they are, where there's a central governing body and there are conferences, if you're lucky enough to be in one of the blessed conferences, whether that's right now, the SEC, the big 10, I think the ACC belongs on that list, probably the PAC 12, given the money they bring in that you're probably okay. Like if you're Oregon state or you're Vanderbilt or, uh, your Purdue or your, your uh, who, Wake Forest, you're, you're okay because you you got lucky. You you hung with the right people back in the day, or you joined at the right time. But I think Ari, what where it might get interesting, you heard Mark Emmert a few weeks ago talk about maybe instead of there being one big central governing body over all sports, that there are different governing bodies for different sports, like a football governing body and a basketball governing body, and a baseball governing body, or just football splits off and everything else is its own thing because football is so different than everything else in terms of money. If that happened, if it's just a football governing body and you're trying to collect the best football teams in one league, then yes, I think conference affiliation being grandfathered in might not help you. But I think as long as there is a somewhat traditional conference structure, the Vandys of the world are fine. They're just not going to win. Yeah, I was having this discussion with Landis, uh, Bill Landis on the Ohio State podcast, and I'm very curious to know your take on this too. Because when you look at this, and, and I listened to you, the last show that you did as well, um, breaking down television numbers, I sometimes wonder if the brand or the type of program that it seems like on the surface doesn't match how much it actually brings to the table from a viewership standpoint. Mm-hmm. So like we were talking about USC and the potential of them being in the big 10, but I wonder for as USC's uh, for as USC ha- brings to the table in terms of national powerhouse, quote unquote, I wonder if their viewership and their backing from a financial standpoint from the fans could measure up to a middle tier program in another power five conference. Like in, in the discussion that we had was Oklahoma state. Does Oklahoma state have a more passionate fan base and a more reliable viewership than USC and LA? And maybe LA and USC 
is a million times bigger. But I do wonder a lot of times, like Iowa State, I think is a perfect example of this too, where they have a sneaky, passionate fan base that'll bring the TV numbers. So when when you ask this but, question, but they haven't brought the TV numbers. Did you read what, Stewart's well, story in, with the Big Twelve? Yeah, no, not I but mean, not com- in comparison to the uh, bigger programs like Texas and and. Uh, Oklahoma in that conference, but I, and, and maybe Iowa state's a bad example, but I'm wondering too, it's like, what are the, the programs that came to your head when you read this question the first time Vanderbilt, Mississippi state, wake forest, like some of the mm-hmm. teams at the bottom rung of the, you know, conference. But sometimes I wonder if we are missing the point on how big brands actually are in comparison to how much success or how they're perceived. Do you see what I'm saying? I do. I do, but, well, I'll give you an example. So, Big 12 title game last year, Pac-12 title game last year. Oklahoma-Iowa State versus Oregon-USC. Who had more viewers, Ari? They were both on over-the-air networks. One was on Fox, one was on ABC. So, equally... Cap- you know, you were equally capable of getting it. The same, probably the same number of people equally capable of getting one it. One was on a Thursday it. or Friday night, though, wasn't it? Uh, one was a Friday night, and and one was was a Saturday noon game. I'll say the Saturday noon game, Big Twelve. Wrong. One million more viewers for the Pac-12 championship game. Oh wow! I know. I don't know. Okay. Eight hundred, eight hundred fifty thousand more viewers. Because I, I, I just thought that the Oklahoma playoff implication would have skewed the numbers in that way. But at the same time, I wonder how much prime time Friday night being the only thing on television has, has an impact of that as well. And, you know, and, and maybe I'm it, wrong. it might, I don't know. It might, but we can, we can go back the following week or the previous week. And you know, this is a, this is a fairly normal week. Uh, but this is also the week army Navy was on army Navy, by the way, does a huge number. So if you're wondering about the American and who the most valuable team in the American might be Navy's up there. Because of the Army-Navy game. Last year's Army-Navy game had 4.91 million viewers. And that's not even in a normal... Like in a normal season, it's a much higher viewership because it's the only game on the, the Saturday the Heisman gets given out. Um, but I will say, so that was the weekend of, of LSU-Florida. LSU-Florida was the, was the next highest rated game at 4.6 million. The, follow, the next one was UNC-Miami, which was two pretty good teams. And and but North Carolina crushed them, three point three three million. The next game, USC UCLA, at three point two four million. All right, I got a feeling people like watching USC. Yeah, and I was afraid when I went down this road that USC is a bad example because USC is a yeah. brand name. I'm just trying to come up with a a fan base that might not seem like it has big viewership numbers based on the program stature, but actually are more valuable than a brand name. Do you see it's, what I mean you, by it's, that? It's like, because, which sneaky mean, teams are the good? Problem is, the problem is those, those small passionate fan bases are great, but they're small. And this is, if Clemson hadn't become a national power, like a team that can win the national title, it would fall into that group too. That's not a huge fan base. Now, everybody wants to watch them because... They might win the national title and they have a bunch of guys that are going to get picked in the NFL draft. But if they were not, let's say they were just an above average ACC team, they wouldn't get that kind of pop either just because they're the number of people watching them is just not, they don't have as many fans as like, like Ohio state. We all know huge fan base, but 
those Big Ten schools have massive alumni bases. So even, even if we're talking about Wisconsin, uh, Illinois, Illinois has a huge alumni base. That's a giant school. But does Illinois drive television numbers? Because this question basically no. is, which teams have the crappiest numbers on TV? No, they don't. Illinois does not drive television numbers. They don't. But but Iowa does. I mean, Iowa does all right. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think it's... I think it's one of those things where it, you either have to be kind of a national contender type or have just this massive following. So I think those are, those are who we're looking at. I mean, prime example, Oklahoma State Baylor on ESPN at 3.30 p.m. on December 12th last year, 1.03 million viewers. Minnesota, Nebraska on Fox Sports 1, which is not carried in nearly right. as many places – at noon, at a, in a worse time slot, 1.05 million. Yeah. So Nebraska. That, that's, yeah, that's, it's Nebraska. That's, that's people yeah. watching Nebraska, people going and finding Nebraska. So, so which teams jump out to you then in this question? Because like I, I could come up with a few here. Uh, oh, of I teams mean, the, that ones, might- the ones they're talking about, they're talking about Vanderbilt, they're talking about Purdue, they're talking about uh, Wake Forest, they're talking Syracuse? about Oregon State. I'd say Syracuse too. Now, now Syracuse is, Syracuse has basketball value. I, I I'm rethinking Kansas. By the way, can I? Can I? I was going to ask you I, about Kansas. Can I take a mulligan on Kansas? And here's why: because I I still think being able to win the, the basketball national title is 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 very meaningful. And that is where Baylor Baylor comes into this too. The defending national champions in in men's basketball. That is very important to a conference because. Everybody watches March Madness, everybody in the country. So your conference can be front and center for three weeks of the year. That's valuable real estate, valuable advertising, valuable everything. So maybe maybe the basketball piece of it helps you if you have a national title contending type team. So Baylor obviously has one. Kansas obviously has one. UCLA now, has for, one. Yeah. For Usually. Kansas's purposes, though, like – I wonder, like, if Kansas was an average football program, would they be a no-brainer pickup for someone like the Big Ten? Right. And also, we've talked about this a lot of times, too. Kansas can be. I think they can be. So on the Orange Bowl after the 07 season. So, so like, when you make these decisions, too, I also think that you have to take into account which programs are hopeless. And I don't know that there's a lot of programs that are like, I don't know. Is Syracuse hopeless? I don't know if they're hopeless. It's hard. I don't want to call anybody hopeless because I don't think any situation is hopeless. I think you get the right coach in, in, in place and you can win anywhere. But it's much harder to win in a place like Syracuse when, you know. I just think Syracuse is just the odds are stacked against them big time. You've got to fly those players past a lot better football programs. To even get them on a visit, there's a there's a Wegmans there though. There is a Wegmans, that's true, and and they got <laughs> dinosaur barbecue. Uh, there's a place called Possibilities. I haven't been there, but a lot of the the folks I know who covered stuff there just rave about it. So Possibilities, uh, yeah. I'm getting in my car right now. <laughs> sounds like that's right. Sounds like a re- so so. Basically, the it's question is drive. asking Andy, which I've driven through Syracuse many times. Um, which teams in the Power Five, as it currently stands right now, just have the worst TV numbers on an, for their regular, on average team? Well, and it's it's also would would a conference sh- shuck some out? Let's say, like let's say the SEC 
had a chance to add Florida State and Clemson, which right now we don't know what the ACC's grant of rights is. If, if it holds, then nobody's adding anybody from the ACC. But let's say, hypothetically, the SEC had a chance. Would they ditch Vanderbilt and somebody else to do that? And I don't think they would. I don't. I also read the question as like, would the Big Ten just dump Illinois? Yeah. I don't think they would. Bigger piece of the pie. Doesn't need, you don't need to get bigger, just get smaller. Yeah, you could drop could you drop Illinois and Purdue? Purdue and, I don't Purdue I don't and Illinois off the off the bottom. Because everybody gets it. paid more and they're not bringing it's because there's a lot of teams that are in the right place at the right time that are rolling in, in Big Ten money right now that I mean, before Rutgers hired Shiano, they were rolling around in Big Ten money, and I don't know if they were mm-hmm. having the impact that the previous expansion viewed that they would. Oh, I think they did because they automate you jacked up what you could charge for the Big Ten network in the footprint. That's all it was. That that was adding to the footprint. But now that everybody's cutting the cord, you don't. That's what I'm saying. That's not how you would add. But so they like already the they got been, a bunch of money from them already. Like adding Rutgers in Maryland already made them a bunch of money. Yeah, yeah. I just I, moving forward. Obviously, this has become a ruthless situation, and it's a "what have you done for me lately" situation. And I understand that Rutgers and Maryland made financial sense for the Big Ten when it expanded. But if they were the Rutgers and Maryland that joined the Big Ten and what they were for the five, five, six first years that they were there, that isn't much value moving forward in a time where people aren't paying Correct. for cable anymore. Yeah. So you can cut them that, right now, regardless of how much money they made before, spread around the pie to the rest of the Big Ten and then take, you know, two teams out of it. I mean, that's a lot of money. I mean, Rutgers' entire. I, Entire. I don't think they do it. I just don't think that you're right. Why? Because yeah, they have part all of a sudden. You you would be adding with the Big Ten, especially after the new TV deals. You that, that would slicing off two teams. Now here, at, you you probably don't make as much because part of the it, it's not just number raw numbers. It's also inventory. So if you sliced off two teams, then that's you know what twelve home games worth of inventory that's gone, and more, well more than that because some of those are conference games. So. That's that's a lot of inventory you're slicing off too, so that that counts too, and the, the network's gonna not pay for that. So, but you, yes, you're right. I mean, you slice off if you slice off two from the bottom in the Big Ten, that's probably a hundred million dollars that you could spread around everybody else. We'll be right back after these words. Who's on the chopping block if this were to ever happen? And I guess you could go conference by conference and name two, right? Would it be Wake yeah. Forest and Syracuse in the ACC, Illinois, Washington, Purdue in the Big Ten? Washington uh, State and Oregon State in the Pac-12. SEC would be Vandy and... Mississippi State, Mississippi State, yeah. I mean, I just I just don't think they would do it. I, I really don't. I think they would have a hard time. Think about this. The last time we saw somebody get booted, now we saw Idaho and and New Mexico State get booted out of the Sun Belt, but that was just kind of a shotgun marriage anyway. The last time we saw any longstanding member tossed from a conference for not performing the way they were supposed to was Temple getting kicked out of the Big East in 2004. And that's a long time, and that only happened once. So these teams that we just mentioned, though, basically were smart investors. They were. Yes, they got in on the ground floor. They got in at the right time. Syrac- we mentioned Syracuse. Syracuse is a newbie in the ACC, but they they were necessary when the ACC grabbed them because that that was that was playing playing offense to play defense. 
Let me throw another curveball at you. I've heard a lot, you know, as a bystander about academics and how it plays a role in expansion and how important they are. But if you made a conference out of Duke, Wake Forest, Northwestern, and all Andy. and Vanderbilt and who am I, Stanford and a few other ones, maybe throw a few private schools in there. Baylor is a private school. Is that is that something that could happen, or are these academic institutions important? And like, I'm, I'm curious to know what your thought is on this because. But depends. Are we on at a point now asking. where academics if you're don't really an athletic matter? Director, if you're asking an athletic director, they don't really care. If you're asking a university president, many of them do care quite a bit. They care about who they associate with. So, like, that's why when I suggested the Big Ten take part of the Pac-12, one reason why I suggested Cal and Stanford would be part of that mix is if you're the presidents of Michigan and Michigan State and Wisconsin and Penn State and, and you view your, your group as kind of one notch below the Ivy League and you have a chance to add Cal and Stanford to your group, you do it. Like, you, you don't care what their record's been on the football field. You add them. But then if you're Ohio State, who obviously very good school, but looks at football in the way that most of the SEC schools look at football, you're going to go, can, okay, guys, I, I get that. Can we please have USC and Washington and Oregon, please? Like, those are, those are the yeah. ones that are going to help us out here. Yeah, because I wonder, too, if there's a, and this might be completely wrong. Is there a correlation between academia and viewing football as less important because of the academic nature and the alumni's likelihood of watching football on TV on Saturdays. No, no, but I will say there's probably a correlation between public and private, large and small. So USC is a private school, but it's a big private school. It has a, a big student body for a private school. Wake Forest is a tiny student body. Miami is a tiny student body. And in Miami's case, the student body comes from everywhere. They're not all right. from Miami. It's a, it has a huge international population, many of whom have never heard of American football when they get on right. campus or have never watched it. So, yeah, a large land-grant state university with a huge student population is much more likely to have a large, passionate fan base that watches on TV. Like, that is – that's just common sense. Yeah. So I think yeah. that like Duke, Duke is not made up of a bunch of kids who grew up in North Carolina who were, grew up rooting for Duke. It's made up of people from all over the country who are smart enough to get into Duke. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just seems to me that the smarter the school, the less interest in football there would be across the board, regardless of student makeup. And I don't know if that's just a, a dumb way of putting it, but... You're saying they have uh, they have better things to do, Ari. Yeah, like make money and be uh, really smart and have important create jobs. companies and yes. yeah, yeah, <laughs> invest and roll around in their money. <laughs> I don't know. You're not wrong. Uh, I mean, you're I, not I think wrong. That going to certain schools, going to that school, the football program has done a huge part in the uh, the addition of of just general admission. Where being yeah. a football fan of that program is every bit ingrained as the in, in the reasoning for well, going to that school as their academics are. I'll give so you, you have, one where, where football actually increased the academic the stature of the school. No. Well, that increased the money flowing into the, the school. Money it, it increased yeah. the, that increased the out-of-state 
the out-of-state applications. No, Notre Dame. This is why one of the reasons Notre Dame cherishes its independence. So let's let's back up and we'll do the Notre Dame history lesson again. Fielding Yost, head coach slash AD at Michigan, blackballs Notre Dame. Says no team in the Western Conference, which is the, the Proto Big Ten, no team's going to schedule you guys. You can't play in the Midwest. Got to go. Whatever, I don't care what happens to you, but you can't stay here. So Notre Dame goes east to play Army, starts going west to play USC, goes, you know, goes all around the country, goes from being a sleepy Catholic school in South Bend, Indiana, to being one of the most, well, to being probably the most famous Catholic school in the country. And that increases the, the number and the quality of applications. It increases the quality of student. So, yes, in that case, football helped Notre Dame become an elite academic institution. And being a football fan at Notre Dame is more ingrained in your identity as a Notre Dame student than it is for a Northwestern student. Correct. It's part of why you went. It's, it's one of the things you were when – you, when you filled out your application at Notre Dame, probably you were excited about the prospect of, of going to football games in Notre Dame. Right. Like if you, when you're filling out your application to, to Northwestern and we know a lot of Northwestern grads, they wanted to get into the J school. They wanted to get into Medill. Like they didn't yeah. care about the football team. Yeah, I know. Well, now they do. <laughs> Every they sports do writer in America exactly. that went to Northwestern is a big Northwestern fan, but, well, uh, and, and Stanford, Stanford, I think took this and, and it was a crutch before and Stanford turned it into an advantage where and I think part of this, and you and I have talked about this, part of this is recruits, players have just, they've gotten smarter about this whole thing. They've started to look a little bit beyond the four years in college and toward the, the next 60 years of life after college. And so there are a lot more players now who will take a Stanford offer very seriously or will make the Stanford offer their ultimate goal, even if they can get an Ohio State offer or an Alabama offer or a Texas offer or, or a, you know, USC offer because they just want a free education at Stanford, which I got to say is a very mature way to look at things. Yeah. And a pretty solid football program at times. Well, it's become that way because I think Jim Harbaugh did a good job establishing that. And then David Shaw did a great job building upon that. Now, can they keep doing it? We'll find out because they've slipped a little bit, but it is, it makes me feel like every single, It makes me feel like every single academic institution, all the ones that we just named, should also be better at football because of that. I I don't know that there's that big of a group among the elite players. But Stanford, I mean, Stanford is the only one where the education is considered on par with the Ivy League, but you are playing Power 5 football. Now, Cal's close. Obviously, Virginia, Michigan, these are great schools that we're talking about. And they're, they're viewed very, very highly. Those degrees are, are considered extremely valuable. But Stanford is the one that if, if you have a Harvard grad and a Stanford grad, you're like, oh, okay, sounds good. These, these guys both <laughs> seem pretty good. You're a high-tier three-star prospect in Indiana, mm-hmm. and you are – down to Iowa, Maryland, Michigan State, and Northwestern. Wouldn't Northwestern, who plays in the same conference, be the best choice for your son? Well, especially when you see Rashawn Slater 
going in the first round out of Northwestern? Because that's sort of the, the final piece of the puzzle is can you produce the draft picks too? Because like, otherwise you might look at it and say, well, Iowa's produced more draft picks than, than these, or Michigan State's produced more draft picks. But now that Northwestern's also producing the draft picks, I don't think there's a question which one you'd pick. Michigan State went to the playoff. Mm-hmm. I feel nuts thinking that the ceiling should be higher at Northwestern. I, d- I don't think it's that easy. Plus, remember, there's a larger group of there's a larger group that the other schools can fish from. It's a bigger pond for the other schools to fish yeah. from. Because remember, some of those guys that can get into Northwestern still want to go to Iowa or Michigan State, or still want to go to Michigan or, or Ohio State. So right. they're out. And then now Michigan, Ohio State, Iowa, those schools can dip into the deeper pool. Once once that one guy's out of your pool in Northwestern, you you're looking at a, a much smaller group. So that's the only issue. All right, let's let's move on to this next question. This is from Michael, and or excuse me, this is from Rick. This is this is one that that we got a pretty good answer to last week, uh, thanks to an interview that somebody did. Uh, one thing that has become very clear these past few days is that football really is the king of college revenue sports. How big is the gap between football and basketball? And has it always been this this big? So John Skipper, who used to run ESPN, now runs zone. He was on with Dan Levitard last week. And he said football is essentially 80% of the revenue. 80 to 85% of the revenue. That the other sports, because you know, bat, men's basketball would be the bulk of the rest of it. But in some places, like in the SEC, baseball makes some money. Uh, in some places, women's basketball makes money. Some places, softball might make money. But... It's it is by and large football. It is the the train, the engine that drives everything. And I was glad that that Skipper. I'm I'm glad Skipper's out of ESPN and, and, and can say this stuff now, because this is what I would try to tell people. Because we we they never let us see these contracts, but you, you know you talk to enough commissioners and TV consultants and all that, and you kind of get a a feeling for it. So the number I'd always been told was about eighty five percent. And so Skipper saying it's it's somewhere eighty to eighty five. That sounds very good, very right. And and he'd be the guy who's setting the market. So I just, I mean, I know people who are not huge football fans, which is probably not people listening to this podcast, but they don't want to hear it. But football pays for everything. It really you know those does. Olympics than, that everybody's enjoying watching right now. What's that? You know the Olympics that everybody's enjoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can thank all those unpaid football players for doing that. Yeah, yeah. That's all it is. Those the non-revenue tra- Olympic trained. sports. Yeah. Yeah. All And they go to schools who have programs like rifle and swimming and all the things that you're watching on television right now. And all of those programs and those trainings that those Olympic yeah. sports and athletes went to was funded by football programs. For the most part, yes. You're exactly right. Yeah. And yeah, I, I remember when I was in college, this is when I was the sports editor at the, at the student newspaper. I, I was not on the football team anymore. I, and I, we were covering a, a football scrimmage one night and one of the, the sports information interns sat down next to me and he was very upset. And he said, what do my swimmers have to do to get more written about them in the newspaper? And I said, you can tell them to play football. And he did not like that answer. And I said, well, <laughs> that's what people want to read about. I'm sorry. 
you know? <laughs> and he's like, he's like, but shouldn't it be covered equally? Read the like, room, Andy. No. I'm like, we're sitting in an 85,000 seat stadium. How many does the natatorium seat over there? Yeah, it's uh the athletic is a business and uh, the business is covering what people want to read about and what they care about. And, yeah. you know, there are certain sports <laughs> people that care about wish- swimming for four days every four years. Yeah. And it was funny because I was uh, uh, my pal over at, at the Cleveland Plain dealer, Cleveland.com, Doug Glamouris made this point, And I thought it was a really, really good point. He said that all the, of these um, Olympic rosters are being sent out from the schools. It's like a press release. USC's right. got 97 people yeah. competing if in USC the Olympics. USC was a country, yeah. yes. Yeah. And the funniest thing about it, and I never really put these these two things together until he said it, but they are producing athletes who are competing for other countries off the backbone of college football. Correct. Because a so lot you're of welcome, the, Belarus. USC, yeah, and I, USC has 195 or 30,000 people competing in the Olympics, and only like half of them are competing for America. So USC's football program, which funded the entire, is like the reason why Greece has a swimming team. Yeah. So when in doubt, thank a football player. That's that's generally the rule that, that you should go by. And, and I think this is a good segue into the next question where we can talk about yes. people going to get that bag because this is why <laughs> go get that bag, young man. <laughs> exactly right. Okay. So this is a question from Robert, and this was to, to your mailbag, Ari. And it's about uh, Quinn Ewers, the, the greatest mullet in the class of, of 2022. He's also possibly the best quarterback in the class of 2022. But he might not be in the class of 2022 he might be in the class of 2021. He may be enrolling at Ohio State shortly. And I guess I guess take it a redshirt year uh, so he can sign some NIL deals. So here's the question from Robert. Quinn Ewers reclassifying to 2021 and enrolling this fall seems like it would be a completely unnecessary move and create drama and tension that the Ohio State program and QB room could certainly do without. Would Ohio State risk losing him if they express their desire that he stay in high school? Waiting until January doesn't seem like a big ask. Okay, so here Robert didn't didn't have the backstory in here. The reason Quinn Ewers might leave is because he's being offered money to endorse products, except the state of Texas, the the high school association in Texas, does not allow high school players to endorse products to take money to endorse products. Dumb. So, so if he couldn't do that, he may just not play, and all he has to do is take one online class, pass it. He can enroll at Ohio State he'd be a freshman right now. This is the stupidest discussion in the whole world because if you're Texas, just get rid of the rule because don't yell at this kid. And it's going to happen. It's going to get, it's going to change. Don't yell at this kid for not like you're pushing him away. If you'd like him to play, if you'd like your best players to stay in the state and play, then just let them get the money. What difference does it, it, it it's make? A, it's a progression. And I think we ha- we talked about this on this podcast. But everybody can agree universally, or at least 95%, that the NCAA rule prohibiting people from benefiting from their name, image, and likeness was dumb, which is why they changed the rule, right? Correct. But they changed the college rule. And I know that in some states, the law has also... Uh, been applied to high school athletes, but in some states it hasn't. And or I some think states, fl- the law expressly forbids high school athletes from getting, which is even stupider. 
And just let I think everybody one get of them paid. Too, right? Yes. Florida let and Texas are the paid. two most densely populated states in the entire country for high school football talent. And we are telling people how or how they cannot make money. And I think that's the least American thing on the face of the earth. Now, here's another thing that's really, really funny. So as I'm putting together stuff in this nursery, I heard from another mom that's a friend with my fiance that they have these toddlers. I'm talking mm-hmm. three, four, five-year-old kids on okay. YouTube. Oh, yeah. Reviewing toys. Oh, yeah. And that these, and these kids videos. kids watch those kids. Yes. Yeah. And those kids who don't have the toy would sound terrible. Be a better dad, Andy. But, you know, they, they are watching these videos and these videos are amassing millions and millions of views. And these five-year-old yes. kids are making million dollars a year reviewing toys. Correct. And they are allowed to make money. But you're telling me that a right. high school athlete can't? And listen, Twin well, Ewers is 18. He's, an, yeah. he's an, a legal man. He's an adult. So we could call these prospects kids. And I think I say that more than I should because a lot of times they're not. And to me... If he wants to get paid now, anybody who says, well, can he just wait four more months? It's not a big ass. I don't know. Can you wait four more months for your check? Yeah. I mean, shoot, if I were state of Arkansas, I'd be like, we're going to let you do it. Hey, Quinn, want to come play here? Want to come play here? Yeah. 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 So, and I, I called um, some people and I wrote a column about this. And I don't know if you read it, Andy, but I wanted to know because because Pete Thamel, who broke the story, said that he could be approaching seven million. Or I mean, seven figures or a million dollar endorsement revenue for or, or income per year. And he has, based on his current profile, and I think part of it with Quinn too is he's got the bleached mullet. He is a quarterback. He's in Texas. He's in Dallas suburbs. He's going to Ohio he's a very, State. Very marketable human being in general. But if he yes. were to go into college football right now. According to the people that I spoke to about this, the experts in NIL, he would be the 25th most marketable player in the country. And if he's the based on his current followings on Instagram and Twitter and his mm-hmm. profile, and yep. that's not even playing a down. Yep. So with his followings, which I think is 83,000 Instagram followers, might be more now since when I wrote this, and 23,000 Twitter followers, he could have sponsorships where each Instagram post is worth $2,500. And it's like, I don't know. I'm about to have a kid. I'd like to make $2,500 making a post. Or I'd like to make, you know, $500 for tweeting something. And it's just like, yeah, I guess in Heinz or in, in when you're removed from it, you can say, hey, well, what's another four months? He's, he's enrolling early in January and he'll get paid then. It's just like, yeah, what it, do you know what like he, the what level of arrogance? What if his knee explodes this year? What if his knee what explodes the, during a high school game this year? The level of arrogance get of, any of telling that. somebody yeah. to wait for their money is so aggravating to me. And I don't mean to be yeah. like, and I understand the concept of a fan. What's another four months? It's actually not that long of a time. It goes in the snap of a finger. But four months is almost half of a year of a seven-figure potential Also, income. something can happen that could cause him to not make any of that in the future. So get I it now when you can. Everybody should get their bag the second they can get it. That is the exactly. American dream. And just because he plays <laughs> no high school doubt. football in Texas... I find this to be admirable. And you know what? I think the original question was about Ohio State's quarterback room. Listen, those, Ohio those State doesn't don't care. They came to play quarterback at Ohio State. They understand another five stars showing up. I also think, too, 
that if you asked Ryan Day in an honest moment, do you want this to happen, he would say no. Because this isn't ideal for the way that his quarterback room is set up for the future, but he is too damn good at football to let him walk anywhere else. And you do whatever he wants to do, and if Quinn Ewers wants to make an example of the system, he will be the reason why Texas changes that stupid rule. 100%. It's, It's silly. Whatever argument you have against it, I promise you it's stupid. Like, just stop. Just say, oh, they're high schoolers. No, it doesn't matter if they're high schoolers. They're American make, citizens make millions. Yeah. Who, who someone is offering money to. Nothing wrong with that. If someone offers money to you, I'm not going to be like, no, don't take it. As long as I would if, take if money not, to if do anything. Offering money to, <laughs> right. If they're offering money to you for something that isn't illegal, like against, I don't mean against the stupid Texas High School State Association rules, for something that isn't against the law where you are, then. I don't care if you take it because we've been and you shouldn't care if someone else takes it as football fans to take these NCAA rules and view them as if they're breaking the law. Correct. Or more serious than actually, you know, and you make it and you make it, 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 you build this thing up into your brain of like, wow, you're a terrible person. If you accept money, it's like, no, you know what? From now on, if somebody wants to give you money, then you should probably just be able to take it. Exactly. And the thing is you say, well, what if, what if he decides to go somewhere else? What if he decides, you know, he sits, he's at Ohio State and he doesn't like it and he goes somewhere else? Who cares? Whoever gave him the money, if they're an Ohio State fan and that's why they gave him the money, well, tough, tough nuggies. You, I bought a stocks <laughs> you, that have gone down 50%. Yeah, I'm an asshole. You, you took know? the risk. Just, yeah, yeah, you took the risk. What are you going to do know, about it? Yeah, and it's like the, he doesn't owe Ohio State anything. No. It's his name, Ohio's, image, and likeness. Ohio State is rolling the dice on Quinn Ewers thanks to very good evaluation skills on Ryan Day's part, which I trust pretty pretty highly. Like you could, Ryan Day says the guy's a good quarterback. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I know, but but if, if Ryan Day says this is the guy I want, I got a feeling he's probably a pretty good quarterback. Yeah, and actually, Ohio State will make infinitely more money off of Quinn Ewers' talents uh, right. if he makes it to the starting quarterback position at some point. Than they then, would then from Quinn losing Ewers all make. the people who transfers, yeah. and more than Quinn Ewers yeah. will make. So yeah. I just like at a certain point, it it's just going to become annoying to have to talk about this stuff. And like, like we're I know that it's have still, to. it's going to normalize. I'm telling and you, I, it's, it's going to. Oh, of course it will. And these types of rules that are currently in place that are creating these discussion points are going to be changed because they're dumb. It's the reason why, and it might have taken what decades longer than it should have. Uh, the Olympic model changed, didn't they? At a certain mm-hmm. point, not it changes yeah. because you can't tell people not to make money. And I don't know. I think having the Dream Team in the Olympics probably made the Olympics more money in TV revenue. Probably allowed them to sell their TV rights for more money. So this is not hurting anyone. No one is hurt by this. And you could say, well, what if what if some somebody offers him money to go to a different high school? Are you you mean? You mean there's recruiting in, at the high school level in, in Texas and Florida? and Oh, my stars. Really? Oh, no, wait. That's been going on for 100 years. Who cares? Stop. Yeah. At a certain Stop point, just like pearls. Stop making stupid rules. If you have a stupid rule and it's going to cost you the best quarterback in the state, get rid of the stupid rule and keep the quarterback. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Well, we have we have a much 
much more lively topic here, if, if it's possible. Because now we're on to our I'm ready to get mad. And I'm ready to get mad, Andy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that I'll get mad. I, I think you're going to have some that I'm going to go, oh, I can't believe I didn't think of that. Or I've got to try that. Because I think you have, you have a lot more recent experience than I do with the chains. Because a lot of the, when I was writing that column where I would review a place every week, I was you always to having chain. to yeah. go try to something new, something different. So a lot of my chain experience is is back in the day experience. Although there's some that I still, you know, every once in a while I'll hit up. Now I'll reiterate the rules here: free restaurant bread is not something we can talk about here because Ari and I have already ranked that. I wish I remembered the date. I would tell you which episode to go listen to because that's a, that's a good one too. But these are chain restaurant appetizers. They must cost money. They cannot be the free bread. And Ari, the floor is it's, yours. It's all restaurants. So you don't have to go in and sit. If it's a Correct. chain restaurant that you can have delivered, it counts too, is my Correct. Well, I mean, and also, I mean, just the way things have changed, especially during the pandemic, the places you would sit now you're having delivered quite a bit. Anyway, so yeah. the lines are very blurred right now. So, okay. Ari? Starting down from five. Yep, number five for you. Applebee's Brew Pub Pretzels and Beer Cheese. I, I, this one was close for me. This, because I do love a good soft pretzel, dipping in beer it. cheese. Yeah, I, I like these a lot. It, this was, a, this was an honorable mention for me. Uh, Buffalo Wild Wings used to have a good soft pretzel. They've just, they've recently changed their pretzel appetizer. It's not as good now. So, the Applebee's ones are, are are very solid though. I, yeah, I, I, yeah, and I, I always like ask for extra salt on them because oh, I see, really I, like the salt. I scrape the salt off and dip it in more mustard or more beer cheese. And I also ask for honey mustard as a dipping sauce, which might make that's me a weird. good choice. No, that's a good choice. I, I think that's a fine choice. I mean, mustard and pretzels go well together, but you want to sweeten it up a little bit. But I, I do like the beer cheese. The beer cheese is a great pretzel dip, and maybe this um, will be know, another random is, ranking one day. But best dipping sauces we've never oh. done. Hundred percent. We got to do something next week then. Best dipping sauces next week. Mark Cuban chip with the pen. Write <laughs> <laughs> it down. I, I, I know which. Uh, I know what's not making my list. So that's that's easy. <laughs> Thousand Island. <laughs> nothing, okay. What's your yeah, number five? Nothing. Mayo Ford. Uh, my number five is Chili's skillet queso. That's your your beef queso at Chili's. Uh, their chips and salsa are, are, are really good anyway. Uh, chips and salsa are free in the bar at Chili's. They're not free if you're sitting at a table at Chili's, which I always uh, kind of blew my mind, but I understand they're trying to get you to buy more beer in the bar. But you do have to pay extra, obviously, if you want the skillet queso. But, man, that is a delicious – that gooey cheese with beef in it dripping off your chip. Oh, it's tremendous. The Chili's chips are super thin. And I find there to be nothing more aggravating than dipping into a cheese or a sauce with a chip that breaks. Mm. So if you get that, if you have a thin chip, now some, they're not all that thin. Some of them hold up. But if you feel like they're, they're doing that, you can spoon it onto your chip and the chip will hold up. Be a man. Too much work Let for it break you. in there. Oh, I don't care if it breaks in there, but I, I lose I lose my chip. I don't want a smaller bite. I want the right size yeah. bite, so I'll spoon yeah. it on there. I just find it to be aggravating generally. So my favorite tortilla chips are thicker. Number um, four for you. Cheesecake Factory Fried Macaroni and Cheese. I thought about this one, too. For what that is, it should be better. Like, it's fried I mac and it's cheese. it's amazing. 
I think it's I amazing. Because like don't. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna blow the rest of my list right now, but there's nothing great or better than a really good mozzarella stick, and I don't have a mozzarella stick on my list. There's and not, I because I couldn't I, think of the signature mozz stick. There is no good mozzarella stick because there there is it's too hard to get to to the right point in time to eat them because they are either too molten and will burn your tongue or they are just string cheese in a in a fried shell. So you Listen, have you're, about you're a crazy 15 if you're not into window. You have a 15 second window to have a perfect mozzarella stick and it's never you're never going to hit it perfectly. There are places that have fried cheese like upscale restaurants where you can eat it with a fork that I think uh would probably make my list, but I couldn't come up with the, cause this is specific. If you were to have a Correct. list that was just appetizers, mozzarella stick might be number one for me, but I couldn't come up with one mozzarella stick that I thought was greatly superior to everything. Else. Nobody so was, makes I, a good one because you can't make it. I think one. it's insanity. If you don't like mozzarella sticks in general, like if you're like an anti mozzarella stick person, which it sounds like you kind of are like, I could I just can't eat string cheese. String cheese isn't deep fried and melted. What are you talking about? It's not melted after a few minutes. It's and if so, you eat it too soon after it's melted, you burn your tongue. You know you're going to have to go in public tomorrow and face the people, right? Like, people are going to listen to this. Worried. And you're gonna, I'm not worried. Are you gonna throw, they're going to throw mozzarella sticks at me? Oh, no. I love this podcast Whatever shall I so do. much. And I love learning new things about you. But sometimes I learn new things about you and it makes me cringe. And not liking mozzarella <laughs> sticks is one of them. <laughs> okay, I'm not ordering four? them when I have better options. Okay. They never, they ne- they never turn out to be what you want them to be. Never, not once. All right, number four for me: bonefish grill, bang bang shrimp. That was one on my list, but I haven't been to bonefish grill in a long time. Um, the bang bang shrimp is kind of like uh, it's fried a little bit, right? It's lightly fried it's, and it's, it's fried, got a sweet it's sauce a spi- on it. It's in a s- spicy sweet sauce. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. It's it's just a, it's a great. Let's get going. Let's eat. They and they got that sourdough bread, and because your your main course at Bonefish Grill is probably not going to be very heavy, you know, it's probably going to be a piece of grilled fish or something, and and you may even go vegetables with it. You might go mashed potatoes, but you're not going to eat a particularly heavy meal there. So get something that that is a little bit heavy to start off with. Yeah, I haven't had that in a really long time, but I have had it before, and I and I I considered putting it on there. But it just listen, when you go to a chain restaurant like these, you're going there to be a fat person. So a lot of the things on mine are just like, how fat can you possibly be? And I know that fried shrimp is probably pretty high on the fat scale, but it's up when I'm in it's smash season in these places. I want to smash food and little uh, shrimps that you have to eat with your fork. They're not hardy enough to leave. I want to leave so that I'm afraid that I'm going to fall asleep at the steering wheel on my way out. That's what let, I want okay, to feel me, when I go to these here. places. Is there a – do you even have one of these that you eat with a utensil? Is this all – you have to yes. eat all these, all of yours with your hands. My next one's a utensil. Oh, okay. All right. Do tell. Olive Garden Lasagna Fritta. Okay. I've never had these. Are I, you crazy? I saw these. Yes. I, I, well, listen, when I was going to Olive Garden, I was more I – was, I was broke. So it was unlimited soup, salad, and breadsticks for me, unless it was never-ending pasta bowl season. So I didn't have money to buy appetizers, but I've I've looked at these things. When I was going through my list today, making sure I, I didn't miss anything, that was on everybody's list. And I was like, 
Oh my God. It, next time I'm at Olive Garden, I have to try this. Listen, one time I went with another friend of mine that likes to eat as much as I did, and we racked up like a $110 bill at Olive Garden. <laughs> Tremendous. Do you know how hard that is with the breadsticks yes, I do being because free? So, so Barrett Salee and I have a segment. When we, we did a, a Sunday morning radio show together on Sirius XM for about two years, and we had a segment called "Eat Your Feelings," and it was based on. Do you remember during the the FBI investigation into basketball, there, there was an agent runner. Christian Dawkins, who had yes. turned in a bunch of receipts, and they found his receipts. So he had a receipt from Longhorn Steakhouse for like 133 bucks. And Good for him. It was um, it was a Duke player's parent, or a guy who ended up signing with Duke. His parents had met with him, and the parents were interviewed, and they said, "Oh, we just got water. We didn't we didn't order anything." And so, if they're telling the truth, this guy spent 133 dollars by himself at a Longhorn Steakhouse. So we got the menu of Longhorn Steakhouse and figured out how you would do that. If and you then, did it alone? Yeah, and then we created a segment every week where whoever had the worst week in college sports, we went to a local restaurant and tried to spend $100. We, uh, we did it for, the last time we had, we had a show together a few weeks ago, we did it for Mark Emmert at the, uh, at the Steak and Shake in downtown Indy. Do you know how hard it is to spend $100 <laughs> at Steak and Shake? Like, you are dying. I had like six well, milkshakes and a eight limit. burgers. And- <laughs> I mean, a sit-down restaurant, you can get there. Because uh, Olive Garden, yeah. it used to be super cheap, but it's not that cheap anymore it's it's not a nice italian restaurant but it's not the cheapest place unless you go in at lunch and get salad and bread i i do need to try these these are these are fried ravioli squares essentially right yes and it's it's not like it's the lasagna toasted ravioli or i'm sorry fr- fried lasagna fried lasagna yes. squares yes it's lasagna you know the the thick pasta sheet that you would find in lasagna fried and folded with marinara sauce on it and cheese that sounds amazing i'm gonna i'm gonna have to try that that sounds awesome so my number three, this is the last one was something a little heavier because your main course is going to be lighter. This is a, a little bit lighter appetizer because your encore or your entree is going to be heavier, and that is the PF Chang's chicken lettuce wraps. Now the problem with these is they're a little too light, and sometimes I might need two orders of them before we even get to the entrees. I'm anti PF Chang's. You know what this. Did, what did PF Chang's ever do? Well, uh, yes, I understand. Payway is just as good, if not better. Their pad thai is actually better, it's literally better, <laughs> and, and quite a bit cheaper. And it's the same company. I get it. I understand. Get okay. Well, if it'll make you feel better, Payway lettuce wraps because they also have the same lettuce wraps. Yeah, I don't think I've ever had them before, um, but I know that people really, really like them. But I just like don't think I'll ever go to PF Chang's ever again. But you're going to go to Payway, so just get them at Payway. Yeah, I haven't been to Payway in a long time either. There's not that many in Dallas. I don't think that, there might not be. I don't think I've seen one since I moved to Dallas. Didn't Payway, didn't they really uh, subtract how many um, or close down a ton of the locations? I don't know. I see. I've never lived in Payway territory. There there are Payways uh, within a couple hours of me. There's, there's Payway in Orlando, and I, I believe Tampa's got them, but not where I live. So... I only see them on the road anyway, so I don't, I don't really I was know in college, where exactly they are. When I was at school in Arizona, there was a payway on University Avenue, which is the main drag of restaurants right. and bars going onto campus. And I used to eat there all the time because it was a three-minute walk from the, the newsroom. So I used to go there all the time, but as an adult, not so much because it's just kind of not that many locations. Okay, I think this is when my list is going to start blowing people's heads away, you know. Okay. People are going to start rolling their eyes, and they're going to be like, this guy's a psychopath. 
I'm ready. My number two. number two is Outback Steakhouse Kookaburra Wings. They're not bad. Those are pretty I good wings. probably go as far to say that they are my favorite wings on the face of the earth. I mean, they I, are I don't have delicious. a problem with that. The, the, my favorite restaurant wing, like chain restaurant ring, wings at the moment are the ones at Tijuana Flats, which is a, a burrito chain in Florida. They started yeah. making wings randomly a couple months ago, and they're really good at it. So I don't, I don't begrudge you this one. I've uh, had Outback Kookaburra wings, and they're pretty good. I think they're seasoned perfectly. They're not breaded, so they're, they're still very caloric. And that's the thing that I love about uh, <laughs> Cheesecake Factory. They still Factory. can kill me, so they're perfect. Yeah. Well, Cheesecake Factory has, and I meant to say this when I got to my mac and cheese bites, but Cheesecake Factory has somehow managed to only have 2,500 calorie plus entrees. And like their hamburger, if you go look at the nutrition facts, how do you make a 2,500 calorie hamburger? How? It is difficult. You have to like inject fat into it. I think that's the Even only if it's, way. Even if it's, what do you have to like cook it in butter, soak the bun in butter? Even then, 2,500 calories? My my favorite is like the 1,700 calorie salads at yeah. Cheesecake Have factory. you ever looked at the, have you ever looked at the nutrition facts at these, cha- like these chilies and Applebee's? Oh yeah. It's like, oh, terrible. you want buffalo, buffalo chicken strips? 2,600 calories. How? I could have four <laughs> McDonald's full meals for less calories than that. It's insanity. Uh, but I do think that they are seasoned perfectly. The texture is amazing. The spicy ones are just spicy enough to give you a pop, but not enough to make you sweat. I, I, if I could have any buffalo wing ever, I think I would be this. So and you're gonna cool it. You're gonna cool it down with some nice brown bread. Yeah, and I'm gonna take it for a swim in some uh, <laughs> some blue cheese. There you go. <laughs> All right, number two for me. This chain I think is is only in the south. But there, there's a similar dish at a national chain too. So Miller's Ale House, which I, I, I think is mostly in the Columbus. South. I think they go up, yeah, they go up the Eastern Seaboard and, and into the Midwest. Uh, the chicken nachos at Ale House. When I was in college, for seven ninety five, you could order the chicken nachos, and they feed four. Like we would have contests to see. Somebody would say, "Well, oh, I could eat a whole chicken nachos at Ale House," and we'd be like, "Yeah, okay, let's 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 put some money on that." And no one ever did. Because they are mad. Like, the plate is as big as the table. And it, they grow as you eat them. I've never had those. Uh, and I don't know why, because I very much like uh, nachos. But I never order nachos in restaurants, ever. And I part of the reason why is because I don't think that people have the ratio down the right way. There's only, like, 10 nucleus chips. You know, the ones that have everything on it and hold the whole thing wait, together. Wait, n- nucleus? Nucleus. What did I say? That's what you what said. Nucleus. Um, Nucleus. I'm gonna I'm gonna spell a word for you. N u c l e a r. What? Nucleus. How do you pronounce that word? Okay. Nucleus. Is that right? right? Nuke. Nuke. Nucleus. 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 Nuclear. It's not nuclear. Wait. So what did I say? And what is the right way? Nucleus is correct. You said. What nucleus. did I say? Nucleus. <laughs> nucleus. Wait. I'm, I'm like, I can't hear the difference. Nucleus. That's wrong. Nucleus. Nucleus. Yeah, you get it, man. Come on, give me a break. Um, Nuclear nucleus. 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 <laughs> I can't say that word. Now. We're going to hit him with a nuclear missile. Nucle- nucleus chip. I think that's wrong again. Um, <laughs> it is. But you, you know, know what I'm saying. Going, I'm not going to stop you again. <laughs> 
yeah, I don't know how to say that word, and it's just fine. There's just it's also like the same thing where there are certain words that I don't know how to spell, no matter what. I can't spell restaurant. I can't spell rhythm. <laughs> Everybody has like words Ever. that they can't spell. <laughs> yeah. Rhythm, I got. I'm, I I don't think I can. Uh, restaurant. My daughter pronounced restaurant restaurant until she was about seven. Does she say nucleus? Nope. She's got that perfectly down. Like she, when she's talking about a cell, she talks about the nucleus of the cell. Nucleus is correct. That's correct. And I said nucleus. That's what you said. Okay. I meant to say nucleus because a lot of these nachos are dry. (laughs) They're, they're not, there's like 10 good bites and the rest of the tray is trash at a lot of places that don't do it right. So I feel like it's gotta be a place that, you know, hits it on the money. And because I, I'm always so afraid of misordering, there's no worse feeling in the world than well, somebody see, sitting the, down. The alehouse, the alehouse is more of a sentimental thing for me. They're not necessarily what I'd call good, but they're what I call plentiful. And when you don't have a lot of money or you would like to divert more of your money toward beer, they're a very satisfying dish to have with your beer while you're watching NFL games on a Sunday if you're a broke college kid. So that, that's, why, that's why they're so high up on the list for me because they got me through a lot. Listen. And I appreciate I don't know, that. I, what was your college like? At, at school, did you have a – what was your main dining situation? I mean – Did you have one in your dorm? A, well, I was only in the dorm for a year, and then, then I was in an apartment. So it was – I made, made stuff at home. But when you were on campus, though – did you have a, there was a, a dining card? Hall. Yeah, there's a dining hall, and I had I had a declining balance card, which you could use at the Wendy's or the Chick-fil-A or, or, or KFC okay. on campus. Because at Arizona, and I don't know what it's like now, but my dorm didn't have a dining hall in the dorm. We, had, we, we didn't dinner, have one in the dorm. We had a dining hall in front for the, you know, the, the clusters of dorms right there. We had to walk to... Uh, Basically, I ate every meal my freshman year in a mall food court. That sounds about right. There was a Papa John's. There was a McDonald's. There was a Chick-fil-A and an Asian place and a salad place. And it was like a mall food court. Do you know how many filet of fishes my parents bought me when I was in college? And part of the reason I gained so much weight my freshman year. You you pulled a Ron Swanson. You said, I I I never had thinking. You're thinking I'm saying a lot of. Give, bring bring me a lot of filet fishes, but what I'm really saying is bring me all the filet fishes you have. I never had the feeling of broke college student because I had the meal card my whole time, and the meal card was always See, you used had you had parents putting money on the meal card, like my yeah, meal card, yeah. my meal card, the the scholarship pushed into the meal card, and when it was out, it was out. Now I will tell you. There was a declining balance feature because they were trying to get more people to buy the meal plan. So my freshman year, they gave you a bonus $500 declining balance if you bought a meal plan. And so I did buy the meal plan. And so I used the declining balance when we go to Subway or when we go to to Wendy's at the student union. And the last night of the semester, because the bonus stuff was if you don't use it, you lose it. The last night of the semester, I had like 30 bucks left on my declining balance. And so I walked into Wendy's and I'm like, let's go three of those and four of those. We're running this sucker out. Willie Tui Tama. Do people know who that is? 
I does do. the cat does an average cat college football fan know who he is? He lives in my dorm freshman year. And it wasn't and he got he got the starting job and there was a big party in my dorm the night that he got the starting job as a true freshman. But I remember that night and I don't know cuz you were a walk-on, so I don't know if you had different rules for that card than the scholarship players did, but the scholarship players at Arizona used to walk into the dining halls and I it would tell you whenever you swiped it. Mm-hmm. For a regular student like me, how much was left? Right. But when a college football player who was on scholarship swiped it, it said UNL. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't uh, have Unlimited. That. Mine, so was, mine was quite when limited. When you made, when, when, so when you went, made friends with people on the football team, I remember one night, the one of the, I can't remember what player it was, but he was swiping his card for everybody. Everybody was getting everything they wanted, and he was just like, whoo, swoosh, swoosh, and people were just running through the line. People were adding Hostess cupcakes, and I got to say, that was the closest thing to feeling what Christmas is like uh, yeah. as a child, uh, because that was, <laughs> it was just like everything. We, we, we stocked up our whole dorm room because he was swiping his card. Um, okay, my number one. Yes, I'm ready. This one is going to be nuclear. <laughs> I, I, I can't wait. I can't wait. Domino's cheesy bread. Listen, I'm not going to I'm not going to crush you on this. My daughter gets the Domino when when we order Domino's, which we do frequently cuz we have children, she gets the the parmesan twists and loves them. She dips them in buffalo sauce instead of marinara. But they're great. Do you so the ever eat bread, the cheese I'm bread? Sure it's good. Yeah, I've had it before. It's very good. I was at a very expensive steakhouse with oh uh, my fiance, and it was a, it wasn't uh, it was like a it was a uh, celebration for somebody's birthday, and we got into a discussion at the table as they were putting down the breads and the steaks, and this is we're talking like one hundred and fifty dollars for two people to eat there cheaply. Very nice place called Nick and Sam's, and we got into the discussion about bread, and I said to myself, and I made this point at the dinner table, and people were looking at me like I was an alien. I said, if you took Domino's cheese bread and you didn't tell anybody that it was from Domino's and they put it on a plate and they cut it up evenly so that people could put a toothpick or a fork in there and they ate it, people would say it is the most delicious thing they've ever eaten in their entire life. But because it's from Domino's, everybody will look at you and go, oh, God, that's disgusting. Why would you put Domino's number? Domino's cheesy bread is the most elite appetizer on the face of the planet. I don't know if that's true. In my mind, it's it is. It's good. It is It's very good, but... I order cheesy bread without pizza. Sober? Yes. <laughs> okay. My, my shame eating usually happens when sober, which is the problem. Uh, but I'm telling you, and if you haven't had it for a long time, you just worked out, you got a sick tank top on, I can tell you you were running or something, you earned it, just get... A cheesy bread delivered to your house with garlic sauce and then call me in the morning <laughs> after you're done smoking your post meal cigarette. <laughs> now I'm going to have to order cheesy bread the next time I order Domino's because again, I we, swear we to had, you, man, it is amazing. The, our kids are in the, in the age wheelhouse. We ordered a lot of Domino's in our house. So I, and, I and, we, and we talk a lot about this stuff. with, cause we booked a wedding venue, uh, this past week, which I'm surprised I didn't bring up sooner, but we're is Domino's catering. It. And this is the point. 
we're talking what kind of what would you like would you like an italian buffet would you want steak prime rib chicken fish you know the, the same bull crap that they give you at every fish you get <laughs> and i said to myself if you put 50 boxes of domino's cheese bread on the back table and you took them out of the box and nobody knew they were for domino's <laughs> i guarantee you that would be the number one eaten thing at my wedding Ari's wedding is going to be a five-year-old's birthday party. It's going to be awesome. You're going to have a ball pit too. <laughs> I, you're making fun of me. You don't think that if if bounce house you went. Let me ask you this: If you went to a wedding and the wedding said chicken, fish, or steak, Domino's, and it was the normal that's one, what right? I'd check and then wedding. Yeah. That's wedding A. Wedding fish, or whatever, and that's what five grand to feed seventy-five people. Yeah, or, and the food's not that good. Yeah, it's always. Cold. You want to talk about never getting it right with cheese sticks? Have you ever had a really delicious wedding meal? No. Everybody stands in the back waiting for the the late night French fries or corn dogs or chicken sliders, whatever they. That's what everybody wants. So wedding A is traditional wedding fare. Mm-hmm. Wedding B is an in and out truck, Domino's cheesy bread, pizza bagels, French fries, and hot pretzels. Which wedding do you want to go to? Wedding B. Listen, I'd go to a wedding yeah. that was entirely catered by Domino's. It will. Yeah. It will generally be better than any of the banquet hall food you're going to have. It's not even you would go. You would prefer it. People prefer this stuff. Yes. And it's one one hundredth of the price. And now you're not going to get the snobbery. You're not going to get the snobbery from me on this, Ari. I am. I am on your side on this. one. Yeah. And I'm trying to explain to her. I just said, why don't we just get an in and out truck? Can you you can do that? Yeah, there's an in and out catering truck. Yeah. And that would never happen because it's a nice wedding and everybody's got to come and we got to dress up. But it'd be, an, it'd like, be it's a like, nicer wedding if you had an in and out truck. And I'm just and I try to tell her, I know you've got all your workout friends and everybody who goes to spin class and all your, you know, people who want a nice wedding. You know what all those people want, Ari? In and out really French want? fries. Yeah. And Domino's pizza. cheesy bread. Yeah. Gooey. Could you imagine if you just did a pizza, pizza by the slice for your wedding and that was it? Oh, it'd be tremendous. Would anybody be upset? Everybody no. wins. Everybody gets what they want to eat, and you get to pay one-tenth the price of how much it costs to cater a wedding I, I, with be, mediocre Italian it. buffet. I'd be all for it. Because, yeah, the food at my wedding was was decidedly average and it, extremely expensive. Really expensive, and no one liked it. And remember Nothing that. creative, yeah. No, not not one person remembers anything they ate at that wedding. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's I, probably the I, thing that, what is it, booze or food that costs the most? Booze, booze? by far, Yes. Because we got the breakdown, and I tried to block it out. Spend on the booze and and bring a bunch of donuts. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah, people would be happy. You're right. Okay, so my number my number one. So this is. I'll take you back to my freshman year in college. The fraternity houses to entice people to come to rush events will put out appetizer spreads from various chain restaurants, and so. I would go to whatever fraternity house was doing the Outback spread that night so I could get cheese fries. And so my number one is Outback cheese fries. So I nearly got duped into joining like two different fraternities my freshman year just because I was trying to eat cheese fries. And they're like, hey, come on upstairs and all the dude, join the brotherhood. And I'm like, I'm just here for the cheese fries, guys. <laughs> you put out a giant tray of cheese fries in front of your house. Two things. One, my freshman year of college, Rush started and ended, and I didn't realize it was happening. 
So like everybody was in a fraternity. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I, like I missed. There were, I don't know where sorry, I was. There were free appetizers on the sidewalks. It was. I, 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 I went to a I few parties. They had beer pong <laughs> tournaments and stuff to try to get you to rush. But I, I don't ever remember any significant moment in my life where I'm like, well, what nine fraternities am I going to rush, and which ones am I going to pick? It never. I never went through rush. I don't know why it missed me. And two, um, what would the odds have been? If you would have asked Vegas to set an odds of best appetizers of all time, and two of us were or two were going to be represented by Outback, and none of them were going to be Bloomin' Onion. I don't like onion rings. I don't like onions, so but I don't I like think onion about rings. The, I, oh, I, I think that this it, is just yeah, it's funny, but I think it yep. also speaks to the quality of Outback. You can Outback's smash good. in there, and they've got a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah. No, Outback's fantastic. Also, if if I was more of an onion ring person, the onion ring tower at Red Robin is yeah, very that was almost on my looking. list. Yeah, it's very yeah. impressive. But I I just love the Outback cheese fries. I think the the choice of cheeses, the the way they melt it, the bacon, it's and the the you know thick cut steak fries. I I just it's all it is the perfect ratio of everything. And here's the hack: if you don't want to eat three thousand calories worth of cheese fries before you get your meal. Uh, you make fries your side, and they will turn them into cheese fries for an extra buck. Who doesn't want to eat enough cheese fries before their meal to feel? Oh, I don't I, think I've ever I walked know, out of an Outback Steakhouse with my button on my jeans still intact. Yeah, so, sometimes I feel guilty. That's the only thing. But no, I love like a big tray of cheese fries. I'm a big poutine guy. You know, there, there's not there's not really anybody any big chain that has a good poutine, but there's a ton of good poutine appetizers out there now it's it was kind of the hot appetizer of 2019 so everybody's got it you know in, in every yeah. town i had poutine for the first i didn't know what poutine was until like 2014 and i had it in toronto and i thought it was good yeah i think it's, it's a little much for a meal how do you it's a little it? much for a meal people in canada eat it a for a meal don't they well it is it, it can be a meal but i think it's an appetizer and then you eat your meal there's a there's a barbecue place in Jacksonville called the, the Bearded Pig that does uh, country sausage gravy poutine over those fries with pulled pork, and then you can eat like a beef rib. It's the greatest thing ever. It's just but what city was but, that in Jacksonville? It's in ja- Jacksonville, Florida. So, but the Outback cheese fries, I just that's that's my happy place. Kind of this is this. It has enough calories and cholesterol and saturated fat to kill you. Like it, it, it checks all the boxes, and it just the ratios for me are perfect. Without exaggeration, I think that the blooming onion is the worst possible thing a human being can put in their body, food wise, calorically. Isn't it like thirty six hundred calories for the blooming onion? I don't know. I, I, did I think see, it's the worst thing for you on the history of any menu. When, when I was looking up all these, like. So the the factory nachos at Cheesecake Factory are very similar to the the alehouse nachos I was talking about. They're they're three thousand calories for that that dish. And like how is it 3, even thousand calories in one dish? <laughs> I'll have to look up the bloomin'. I didn't know the bloomin' onion had that many calories. The bloomin' onion has one thousand nine hundred and fifty four calories in it. Okay, and it has one hundred and forty six grams of fat and one hundred and forty five <laughs> carbs, and it's an onion. Yeah, someone managed to take something that has zero, no <laughs> calories whatsoever, 
and give it 2,000 calories and 146 grams of fat. Yeah, I don't know how these these chain restaurants manage to turn things into 2,000 calories, but I'm not I'm not I'm not against it. Uh, okay, so here here's so here's the outback here's the outback cheese fries. By the way, 1,770 calories, 117 grams of fat, 124 grams of carbs. <laughs> oh, that is horrific. There is a there is 3,240 milligrams of sodium in one order of cheese fries. Is sodium bad for you? In in that amount, yeah, very. Because <laughs> everybody was like, "There's too much sodium in that." I'm like, "Sodium is the least of my concerns." Fifty one grams of the 117 grams of fat are saturated fat. <laughs> my, my entire life is saturated fat. <laughs> so, but you know what? When I'm in there, there are no rules, and it is just right. So I don't really care. Just like the podcast, no rules, you, just right. That's right. You know, you know what happens. I get there, I order that thing, and I say I'm going nuclear on these cheese fries. Nucleus. Nucleus. Nucleus is what I said. Nucleus is wrong. Nucleus is right. Nucleus. Yes. Nucleus. Think of Miss Cleo. Yeah. Okay. I'll she tells your that. future. I'll, tr- I'll try to get that down by next week. <laughs> we'll, 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 you'll be tested on. It.